Good morning, everyone. Today we're starting a new series called Jesus is Greater. And um, so your first thought is, well, greater than what? Or you want to go, well, duh. I mean, you know, he's the son of God, king of kings, lord of lords, our savior. He is greater. But I'm not being Captain Obvious with this title. Um, We did put a lot of thought behind the title. It started out as Jesus is better. I suggested Jesus is mo' better, uh, but that got eliminated real quick. <laughs> Remember that, John? <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> came with Jesus is greater. It's because he is. Now, I've been a, I became a Christian at 17. I've been floating around Christianity for 45 years, and now some of you are doing the math to try to figure out how old I am, and that's okay. But I've never heard a series like this. Um, I've heard many sermons over the years, and they've all been good. You know, you, you learn about theology, eschatology, end times, principles, how to live your life, um, prophecy, spiritual gifts, so forth. All good information we need to know. But when was the last time you went through a series that was specifically about Jesus? I can't remember, ever. And I've heard a lot of sermons. We're going to be using the Old Testament to explain Jesus in ways that maybe you've never heard before, maybe in ways that um, will make you closer to him, and maybe in ways that will reinforce what you've already experienced. But why the Old Testament? I hate to be Captain Obvious again, but it's because Jesus said so. And let me show you a couple of verses. Now, it, this is in the book of John, this first verse, and it's where the Jews, you know, the Jews were always after Jesus, always trying to take him down, always. And, you know, they always held up, they were extremely literate in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, because that's all they had. They knew it forwards and backwards, and they were missing the obvious. Listen to what he says. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Now, here he is, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and they ain't getting it. They can't see it. They don't understand it. And then, this next verse is, after his resurrection... He's walking on the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples who haven't figured out who he is. They can't see him for what he is at that point. And as he's walking along, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Now that's Old Testament scripture. So he is all over the Old Testament. They just couldn't see him. They didn't understand him until he showed up. Then... It could start to make sense. So, using the Old Testament, how do we plan to teach this? Hold on, I'll let you know. Okay, at the beginning, some of you thought, when I started this, of course he's greater. Yes, he is. But how much greater is he in your life? Hmm. Let me share a little bit about me. 
and I think you may see yourself. But in the 70s, there was a song by the Doobie Brothers called, Jesus is Just All Right With Me. And now that I've said that, you're going to hear that refrain going, right? You're going to get it. It's going to stay there. I've seen in my life is where I've gotten to that point where Jesus is just all right with me. So, if I ask the question of this whole group, if I ask you if Jesus is Lord, what's your answer going to be? Yes. Yes. Okay, is he Lord of all? Yes. Right. But I got to tell you, I'm sort of ashamed to admit for myself that many times I trusted Jesus for my salvation, but sort of put him over there with other stuff. Didn't want him getting involved. You see, if he's, if he's truly Lord of all, shouldn't he be Lord of my pocketbook? Shouldn't he be Lord of that situation that I think I can manage? Shouldn't he be Lord of my relationships? See, what I'm saying is that if I keep him out of specific areas of my life, is he truly Lord of all? But I don't want to dwell there. Because I think, you know, there's a level of trust there we have to get with Jesus. But I think we don't trust him enough because we don't know him enough. We don't. Now, all of us have had friends at some point in time that were really close. They knew you. You knew them. They saw the ugly side of you. You saw the ugly side of them. And you had no problem with them stepping into your life and making adjustments on you. You've had them. And I think that's where a lot of us are with Jesus. He's not that close to where we trust him enough to come in and make adjustments. So, if we don't know him very well, we have an education problem. We just do. But how do we get to know him better? By reading the Bible, right? So I know when all of you came to Christ, there were two things that they told you to do. Find a Bible-believing church to go to, which, by the way, you're in one. You're in one. Second is read your Bible. But you go... Okay, what do I read? Where do I start? I can safely say I've heard that many times, but usually you hear people say, start with John. Okay, cool. Start with Matthew. Cool. But have you ever heard anybody say, uh, get a red-letter edition of the Bible and just read about Jesus? Hmm. No. Now, Bible reading is a great thing. They're They're great. But I found over the years that there are four sort of four main reasons people read the Bible. And let me show you what they are. Thank you. <laughs> the pressure's on. <laughs> okay. Reason number one someone told you to read it. Okay. Read your Bible. But then it gets a little more interesting. Watch what number two is quota system. Now, 
Let's say you start reading your Bible and somebody says you should be consistent. Okay, you're consistent. You decide that every other day you're going to read your Bible. So that's four days out of seven. That's good. Then you run into somebody at church that goes five days a week and they take weekends off. Go, okay, that's cool. I can get weekends off, so I'm just doing five days. Then you run into somebody that says, well, got to be seven days a week. So your quota goes up. You see where the emphasis is so far. It's on the quota. Okay, then somebody says, the best time to learn and read your Bible is 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) Okay, so now you put a time element into your quota system. Then the one that trumps all is no Bible, no breakfast. So which means that for seven days a week at 4.30 in the morning, you better do it or you don't get your Wheaties, right? Okay? Third one is they read because of guilt. Now, what kind of guilt would drive them to reading their Bible? They didn't keep up their quota, right? Last one is really sort of sad. It's fear. People read the Bible out of fear because they're afraid something bad's going to happen to them. Ooh. That's a tough one. See, it's good you're reading your Bible, but look where the emphasis was not. It was not on Jesus. Hmm. So how will we be learning about him through the Old Testament? Well, there's this construct or concept in the Old Testament about typology. There were great people in the Old Testament that part of their life foreshadowed something of Christ. Like David was a king. Jesus was a greater king, is a greater king. Solomon was wise. Jesus is, has a greater wisdom. So we're going to be looking at what is known as the shadows or the types of these Old Testament figures because they all have something to explain about Jesus that maybe you never knew. But to understand the reality of the shadow, you have to understand the reality of what it represents. So let me, let me show you what I mean here. Uh, yeah, okay, this is a shadow of somebody. Okay? You don't know who it is. You have no idea what it means. It's just a shadow, and it's poorly painted in. I wasn't very good at coloring in grade school. You have no concept what this is at all. What does it mean? This is what, if you're going to go from an Old Testament standpoint, when the Old Testament was finally put together and the scriptures were there when people were studying it, when they would see these foreshadows of Christ... This is what they would see, and they'd look at it, and they'd go, what is that? What does this mean? I don't know what this means. I don't understand. Well, let me show you and give you some clarity on this, see if it comes through. Okay, I don't know if you can see that or not, but this fine-looking guy, (laughs) you get it? (laughs) You see it now? (laughs) Okay, this is me in my 20s, okay? This is what Cindy married, okay? Now, here's the deal. You now, if you look back at the blob, you just flip back to the blob. See? Okay. Yeah. Which one do you prefer? (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
But well, here's, an, here's just a side note. You know all these guys with beards and plaid shirts that are common now? I started it. I, I was the foreshadow of what was coming. <laughs> okay. So, you see, this is like when Christ came, all the shadows, like he said, all the shadows started making sense. They could put it together. They could understand the shadow. Hmm. Now, let me flip this the other way around to where you know what the shadow means. And, and, and yell out what you see. Let me see the first one there, Sylvia. Who's this? Batman. Thank you. Okay. 60s version or later? Later. Okay. All right, let's go to the next one. Roadrunner. Okay. And, of course, Wiley Coyote. Okay. Oh, this is for 10,000 heaven points. But... Um, <laughs> Sorry. Okay, what was the name of the company that he bought all his gadgets? Acme, very good. Y'all get 10,000 heaven points. Okay. <laughs> now, I want to give you a taste of what we're going to be doing as we work through this series. Um, you know, at the, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, God put together the law. And the law was a good thing because it defined dietary practices, worship practices, relationship things. Basically, because they, they came out of Egypt, they didn't know what was right, what was wrong, because they'd lived there for 400 years, and they didn't have a clue. So, let me show you this here. Yeah, there we go. This is in Hebrews. Notice what it says. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sins. Hmm. So this law was set up as a shadow of what was coming. And the law was set up, if you read this, it talks about annual offerings, because it's talking about the Day of Atonement. But they didn't get rid of guilt. Matter of fact, you could feel the frustration in this verse. It says, um, repeated endlessly, never made perfect. That was once a year. You feel that frustration. It's like, you know, if you go there and you offer your, your animal or whatever you offered at that time for your sin, and then you go home and get in road rage on the way home with your cart, <laughs> did you just blow it for the year? It's frustrating. It was never enough. And then it went daily. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, there's something in this sacrificial system that I think we forget, and it shows how serious things are, is that something had to die for the person. Something had to die. See, it wasn't the person that got it. Something had to die. But then, 
Then comes Jesus. And it makes reference to the priesthood. This is talking about Jesus. There's a whole lot of other scripture around this. I had to cut this down. But listen, it says, When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, one, he has made perfect those who are being made holy. Notice it says, one sacrifice, by one sacrifice. You see, with him, it's one and done. With the Old Testament law, it was one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one into infinity. It was never enough. So what does this mean for people today? The Old Testament sacrificial system is no longer in play. But there's some people in this room that are involved in some religious system, some procedure, where they're trying to earn their way to God. Notice I said earn which is do and do and do and do. Not one and done, but one plus one plus one plus one plus one. They do good endlessly. But they get home at the end of the day and they realize it's not enough. Feel the frustration? Is it ever enough? No. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do. So what can we do about this? What can you do about it? Who can save you from this frustration, this endless, endless doing and getting tired, never catching it? never seeing that you've made it. You know, there's this concept of people think that at the end of time when they, see, they face God, he's going to have a scale there and they're going to put your good works on one side and your bad works on the other and he's going to scale it out. I never knew what would happen if there was a tie. You know, does the tie go to the runner? I mean, you know, what happens? Or really... We only remember our good. God remembers everything. So we're going to get there. If, if that's true, which it is not, people are going to be surprised. Like, hey, I was good. And he's going, well, no, look at, you know, <laughs> the scale's telling us the truth. That scale thing, not there. If you look through the Bible, I've never found a scale. It does talk about dishonest weights and stuff like that, but that's in a business transaction. So we will never be judged on what we do. It's on who we know is what it is. Because that's going to be the eternal question is, what did you do with my son when you face God? What did you do with him? Do you accept him or reject him? It's one or the other. It's, you know, engineering terms, zero or one. It's off or on. It's yes or no. It's what it is. There is a passage, I want to say it's in Titus, that says... Christ died for sins once 
for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. And that you is either singular, or if you want to put it in southern vernacular, it's a y'all. Okay? It's one or the other. But the thing is, Christ died for sins once for all. You get it? It's right there. So, how does one take advantage of this salvation? How does one come to God? What does one do? What does one need to believe? There's many forms of what I'm going to show you here. But this is five steps. If you look on the internet, you can go from four to 20. I mean, it's just... But the thing is, is the, the basis of what a person needs to believe to get right with God is in here. First one is, first step is realize that God loves you. God is not an angry God. He's angry at sin. He is. That's where his wrath goes. This verse says, For God so loved the whole world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Remember I said something had to die? That was Jesus. God loved us that much to have that occur so that we could have a right relationship with him. So that's where you have to start. You have to realize that God loves you. Now, for some of us, that's very hard to do, is let people love us. Just is. Maybe your background is such you don't trust anybody. You're afraid of them, whatever, but God loves us. Go to the second one. You have to admit you're a sinner. Hmm. Hmm. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Okay, now we're dealing with your pride. We're dealing with people's pride right here. It's like, I'm, I'm better than that. I'm not a sinner. No way. I'm better than that guy over there. Well, it may be true, but the net thing for all people I think David said we were conceived in sin, which means that we naturally come in our DNA the natural way of just, we can just sin automatically. You know, have you ever watched a baby get upset? Is that because you're not taking care of them? Is that because you're not feeding them? No, no. It's their little sin nature coming out. You get to, you get to enjoy it while they're young. You get to enjoy it when they're 16. You know, for some parents, you get to enjoy it when they're 35, you know, especially when they move home. Um, <laughs> sorry. But we have, we have to get to this point where we realize, yeah, I'm blowing it here. My endlessly being good day after day after day is not getting me anywhere. I still have this sin problem, this guilt. Okay, let's go to three. Repent of your sins. Now, all that means is if you're going this way, which is the wrong way, and you're walking away from Jesus, it just means do a 180 and go that way. Basically, you say, I'm done with my previous life. It ain't working. I'm tired of the sin. I'm tired of who I am. And you walk towards him. Because there's always going to be a vacuum if you move one way, there's going to be a vacuum. You've got to go fill it up with something else. 
So that's all it is. You repent of your sins. You say, I don't like this lifestyle anymore. I hate this lifestyle. I know it's sin. I got to go the other way. Okay, that's number three. Ah, number four. Believe that Jesus is God's substitute who died in your place. There it is again. Jesus died for you. He died for all. So that they could have, if they want to, they can have that relationship with God that they desperately need. And it says here, He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's a lot of theology in there, a lot of heavy stuff. Basically, he died in your place. And then the last one. These things are getting smaller. I'm having trouble reading them. Um, Bifocal contacts do fall down at a time. Except Jesus eternal life as a free gift. And it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, I can see it here. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. See what we've got here. The Old Testament sacrificial system didn't work. It was set up to show us we needed something more, something above us. We needed someone who could save us from this wretched body that we have, this body of sin. We needed something more. So Jesus shows up, becomes the sacrifice that trumps all other sacrifices. Does it once. For us to be able to grab hold of God's free gift of eternal life, to be with Him forever, and look how simple this is. It just is. This is a one and done if a person believes this. If a person accepts Christ as their Savior, if they believe he is Lord. This is one and done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Now, will you sin after you come to Christ? Yes. It's in our DNA. But we get this new life, this new spiritual life that we have never had before that, oh, by the way, wants to know more about Jesus He's the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, whenever I get into discussions of theology and religion with people of other denominations, I just say, let's put all these other books aside just to look at what Jesus says. That's where I do this bit with the red-letter edition of the Bible. Because I say, excuse the vernacular, I say, you want to hear from the main man, don't you? And they go, well, yeah. I say, okay, let's just look at what the main man says. Forget these other books, these other writings, whatever. What does the main man say? And then they leave. 
but it takes, it takes all the pretense out. But see, Jesus is greater from the sacrificial side. He was one and done. Everything else was never enough. So you see, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be comparing and contrasting all these great Old Testament saints against Jesus from different angles. We're going to look into the shadows, see how the shadows show him. We're going to see how he fulfilled the shadows. It's going to be a fascinating... I'm looking forward to this because, like I said, which I'm ashamed to admit, I don't know him well enough. And I think there's a lot of people in here just like me that don't know him enough. And I know when I get that figured out, I think my life will be a little bit better. My understanding of him will be a little bit better. How God works in the world will be a little bit better. You know, there's all this, this benefit. If you can sort of get one area of your life straightened out, there's a synergistic thing that sort of flows over into all the others. And that's where Jesus comes in. Let, let, me, let me say this. If anyone here wants to talk more about these five steps, come talk to me. We've got, I think we have a couple of elders in-house, one half elder, something like that. Um, <laughs> he's almost there. Um, but please come talk to us because there's more than this that you need to understand. But this is the core of Christianity right here, is what are you going to do with Jesus? That's the bottom line. There's no other question that really is more important. So let's pray. Father, you are a great God. You're a good, good Father. And Lord, um, we know that you only want what's best for us. We know that you want us to understand your son more because that's really where life is. And I pray that you'll help us as we finish this service. Pray that uh, what is said here will take root in somebody's heart. And Lord, we just thank you for just being here with us. In Jesus' name, amen.